We're talking about gratitude, thus the name of the series, Gratitude. And uh, we're going to talk today about becoming like Christ, and we're going to be in Galatians 3, if you want to kind of find your way there. There is a text in 2 Corinthians that says, we are all, we all show the Lord's glory, and we are being changed to be like Him, talking about Jesus. We're, ch- we're being changed. So we became a, a follower of Christ, and uh, I became a follower of Christ at seven years old, and so from then until now, there's this growing process of becoming like Christ. That's kind of our ambition is to become more and more like Jesus. And so the other day I was looking at, there's a, a website where you can put your photo and they tell you what celebrity you look like. Have you ever done that? Anybody ever done that? So I did that and they kind of give percentages that you kind of look this much like somebody and this much like. So uh, my, my uh, celebrity double, four, 14% was George Clooney. 14%. Uh, Clooney's from Kentucky, too. Uh, I was 13% Billy Ray. Billy Ray, so also from Kentucky, by the way. And uh, I was 72% Pee Wee. Uh, so, you know, you're, you're becoming like somebody. So let's go back to our verse. Um, we all show the Lord's glory, and we are being changed to be like Jesus. And so I'm thinking about my dad, and you know, I look at pictures of my dad when he was older, and the older I get, the more I begin to look like him. And there was a transition in my dad's life. It was really interesting. When he became a grandfather, he changed. And I think most people experience this when they become, well, not everybody, but lots of people experience a change in their demeanor and how they behave toward their kids and that kind of thing, or grandkids. And so we are, we are um, uh, prescribed, uh, encouraged, uh, supposed to become more like Jesus as we uh, journey in this life. Now, uh, Jesus was incredibly thankful, and we see it in several instances. Uh, he, this is when he prayed to, uh, for Lazarus to be raised. He said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And he goes on to say, I know that you always hear me, but I said this so everybody can know that you hear me. And so he's thankful there. Um, this was uh, at the Lord's Supper, and uh, he had the table there at the table, and he took bread and he gave thanks. And this was sort of the practice of the Jews to give thanks. And this was when he fed the 5,000, he took the loaves, and he gave thanks. And so if we're going to grow into uh, being more like Christ, one of the things that we're going to have to do is become more and more grateful. And I think one of the, the things for American Christians that sort of inhibits us from becoming more like Christ is how much God blesses us. He blesses us so much that sometimes we sort of take those blessings for granted. I, I, I've said this about a million times. That's why it's really important to travel to other places to do missions work. Um, my, my daughter Janelle is here this morning, and Janelle and I went to Tanzania, and we got to see what that looks like and experience it, and it helps you appreciate, at least for a time, what you have in the United States. And so, think, just think like drinking water, how readily accessible that is to us. We have a fountain right out the door. You can get water any time you want, and we, uh, the drinking water in the fountain is probably very unlikely to, to cause you uh, any problems. And yet there are people around the world today who don't have the blessing of clean water. 
so or or ample food. I mean, you know, we we have ample food. We have we have freedoms that many 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 millions and billions of people don't experience, and so we become accustomed to it, and then we sort of feel entitled. And part of what we need to do is let's get back to thinking about the things that cause us to be blessed, these blessings that we have. Um, super interesting, uh, there's this text in the book of Numbers, and so God has delivered the Israelites, and they're wandering in the wilderness, and he's taking them to a promised land. So they had been slaves for hundreds of years. Their, you know, their daddies and their daddy's daddies and their daddy's daddy's daddies were slaves, and then God delivers them and they're wandering through the wilderness, and they're going to a promised land, and yet somehow they find uh, a way to grumble about it. Look what they do. Uh, the rabble, I think that's a great word, the rabble with them, amongst them, began to crave other food, because God was providing manna. We don't exactly know what manna was. It was sort of this, I don't know, maybe uh, it, it came kind of in flakes. Let's say frosted flakes. Uh, it was like frosted flakes, and every morning you had... Uh, you could gather enough for the day. And I guess three meals a day of Frosted Flakes just got old. And so they began to, to grumble and to crave other food. And they started wailing and said, If only we had the meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this, and let me add, stinking manna, because that's what, exactly how they feel. Uh, that's all we get is this stinking manna. And so there's this attitude that they got, you know, hey, everything has got to be like it used to be. Growing up um, in, in Kentucky, and um, we, we lived in an era where we didn't go out to eat very often. In fact, honestly, I can only remember ever going out to eat if we were on vacation, because that's just the only time you ever ate out. Every meal was at home. We had uh, there was a little dairy, dairy dip. I think was the name of it. A little dairy, like a little uh, uh, Dairy Queen thing across the street from where we lived. I mean, it was across, literally across the street. And on Sunday evenings after church, we might every once in a while go to get a milkshake. And that was kind of the best we ever did as far as eating out. Now, if we went on a vacation, we would eat out, but that's it. Now, today, I, I read a stat this week. 50%, 56% of Americans say they dine at a restaurant, get takeout, or have a meal delivered two or three times a week. So what used to be rare has become common. It's this, this I, I don't know if it's called, I don't know if I want to call it the curse of blessing, but we are so blessed, sometimes we begin to take things for granted. Well, these folks are so blessed, they've got freedom, and yet they start to grumble because they don't have what they used to have. So, there, there is a, there, there is a problem when we start to, to grumble because we have so many blessings. And there's indicators to this. One is you start to notice you're often critical and complaining. If you're critical and complaining, this is probably not where God wants you to be. And it's easy. We live in a very critical society. Get on any social media, good grief. Every, social media is a cesspool. And if you're on uh, Instagram or Facebook or, or uh, Twitter or whatever, whatever you're looking at, um, there are lots and lots of negative comments about lots and lots of things. You can literally be ticked off about something all day, every day. 
And, and there are some people who just kind of live in that I'm mad about the world zone. And when we find ourselves critical and complaining, we can kind of know this is probably not the sweet spot God wants for us. The other thing is we develop a spirit of, of comparison. Did you, did you notice what they said? Well, in Egypt, when we were slaves, we had free food. It's like, I mean, it's like, okay, but you were slaves. You didn't have any freedom. Uh, they, you weren't allowed to worship. I mean, it's like, okay, you, you maybe had one thing better, but it wasn't much better. And so today we're going to talk about how do we choose gratitude? What do we need to do to choose gratitude? Gratitude. I heard a really cute story the other day about a guy named uh, uh, Rudyard Kipling was an author back in the early 1900s. He was a poet. I'm all into poetry. Uh, I love poetry, uh, like uh, that Dr. Seuss stuff. Uh, I really like that, you know, like that a lot. So Kipling evidently was quite uh, prolific and was really uh, popular. And so back in, I mean, like, again, early 1900s, uh, somebody did a, some research and they found out he's getting paid a lot of money. And one reporter was kind of snarky, came up to him and said, uh, Mr. Kipling, uh, I, we've done research and you are getting paid about $100 a word. And w- you know, which doesn't, it kind of still seems like a lot. You know, honestly, $100 a word sounds good. And he said, this reporter said, so he pulls out a $100 bill and he hands it to him and he says, all right, give me a $100 word kind of being a punk. So Kipling is really, it's, this is a, it's such a brilliant story. He, he looks at the $100 bill, kind of studies it for a minute. He folds it up, he puts it in his pocket, and he said, thanks. Uh, that was his $100 word. Uh, I think that's brilliant. It's just brilliant. So how can we develop in our spirits this notion that uh, we should be thankful for things? So if you have Bibles, we're going to be in Galatians 3, and we're going to talk about our relationship with God and and why that will cause us or should cause us to be incredibly grateful. So, let's look at it. You're all God's children by believing in Christ Jesus. So, this is a message to people who are Christians, folks who have believed in Jesus. Clearly, all of you who were baptized in Christ's name have clothed yourself with Christ. There are neither Jews nor Greeks, slave nor free people, male or female. You are all the same in Christ Jesus. This is called the doctrine of adoption. Uh, Jesus, God, has adopted us into the family. You are one. We are children by believing in Christ. And so um, it's, the, it's, the, it's called the doctrine of adoption. We have, we have been adopted into God's family. This in and of itself is enough to cause us, or at least should be, to rejoice. Now, I want to kind of unpack this a little bit, this doctrine of adoption for you. Because there are so many implications of it. And we think about it, adoption in in the day when this was written, when Paul wrote this, and adoption today are quite different, and it happens for different reasons. And so let's talk about this difference of when Paul writes this, here's one of the problems of reading this as Americans in today's day, is that we read it with a 21st century American lens. Well, this was written in a 1st century Jewish lens, and so let's sort of unpack what adoption was in that day, okay? Number one, being chosen caused you to have a purpose. And God 
calls us and we have a purpose. And look at what it says in Galatians 3.29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants and heirs, your heirs as God's promise. Now, an heir gets, uh, gets a inheritance. Uh, uh, let's say um, any of us who have any, any sort of wealth, let's, um, you have property or you have resources in the bank or whatever. When you die, if you have a will, and you know, Miriam and I have a will, and we've deeded all of our stuff to our kids, um, I think they all get you know equal parts. We we may like one better than the other. I don't remember now. Uh, you know we may give you know Janelle gets all of it because uh, she's here this morning. But um, you know we we are giving them. We're granting them the blessing of the stuff that we leave behind. That's kind of how that works. All right. So adoption in in the time when this was written was different. Completely different. So let's say you were a person of some means. Again, this is a very um, th this would be a society that's predominantly uh, dominated by men, and so you're a man and you have some wealth, but you don't have an heir. You don't have a son to leave it to, and they rarely left their possessions to their daughters. So in my case, I've got four daughters. If I lived in this era, I would be up a tree, uh, up a creek, up a tree, uh, up a creek. Uh, I would be in trouble because I don't, have, I don't have a male heir to leave it to. And so if, if I'm getting along in years and I have some possessions and I don't want them to just go away like everybody gets it, if I want the name to continue, I would look for somebody to adopt. I would look for a young man. Now, it, it doesn't even have to be a young man who doesn't have a family. See, for us, adoption is, okay, there's a kid, and his parents are, are gone, and this kid needs somebody to take care of them. That's adoption for us. Adoption in this era was different than that. I am a rich person who needs to um, choose someone to take the estate, to carry on the family name when I'm gone. Now, if that's the case, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the guy in charge. In fact, there, there's this uh, uh, Latin expression for this. I am the pater familius. I am the paternal. I am the, the, the father of this, um, uh, this inheritance. <laughs> and I want to give it to somebody worthy. Somebody that will carry on the family name. That will do good things with the things that I leave him. And so when it talks about adoption, that we are chosen by God, there's this idea that we are chosen because God sees in us an ability to carry on the family name. Jesus said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And this language is throughout the Bible. There's a choosing. My mom and dad didn't get to choose. They just got me. Bless their hearts. I mean, they had no say in it. But if you were the paterfamilias, you got to pick who you wanted to be in your family, who you wanted to hand over your inheritance to. You got to choose. Now, in the hood where I grew up, in Danville, on the mean streets of Danville, Kentucky, in the hood, Danville, Kentucky, <laughs> it was like Mayberry, uh, uh, we would play games. You know, you you go to the park. We'd stay there all day, and we would play three things: wiffle ball, 
uh, by the way, I was great at wiffle ball. Uh, basketball, b- by the way, I was really good at that too. Uh, football, also really good. Uh, and, and so we would pick teams. So all of our, our buddies from, from the, the neighborhood, we would go down to the park and we would pick teams and somebody would uh, pick, be captain and we would pick. And, and there was a specific person, purpose in the picking. You picked people with a purpose in mind. You didn't care if you are hurting anybody's feelings. Look, if you weren't good at something, you were going to be picked last. That's just how it worked for, for those other people. Uh, I was always picked way high. You know, I was always a number one round draft pick. But, but the other people I know uh, didn't get picked as high as me. And we picked based on we want to win. <laughs> you know, we're not out here just to get exercise. That's stupid. Uh, we're here to win a game. And we took, it was life and death for us. And so we would divvy up teams and we would pick, we would choose based on, okay, this guy can run, this guy can shoot, this guy can hit. We're picking the people who give us the best chance of victory. And the pater familius, he was going to pick the young man who he thought gave his family the best chance of carrying the family name into perpetuity. I mean, he wanted, he wanted the family name to continue. His obligation was, I'm going to give you everything I've got. If you were picked, your obligation was, I'm going to bring honor to the family name. I'm going to not dishonor us. I'm going to, be, I'm going to, I'm going to try to learn to be just like you. And if you were from a poor family, look, this was a culture where if you as a dad got in trouble financially, you could sell your kids into slavery to pay for your debts. I mean, think about that. It's a whole different culture. If you were a father and you had a son and uh, some paterfamilias comes and says, I'd like to adopt your son... So he can be the heir of my estate. This would be like uh, your, your kid being accepted into Harvard or Yale. It was, it was an honor to have your son picked. That means you as a father have done a good job of raising this son, and now somebody wants to bring him into their family to be the leader of that family eventually. It's quite the honor. Different, totally different than what we do, but that's kind of how those things worked. And, and so Paul again writes this. His, Paul is a guy that wrote a lot of the New Testament. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. When he picks us, we become children. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And so there's this, this, this beauty in being picked. So if, if you have made a commitment to Christ, if you've come into the family, Jesus would say, you haven't chosen me, I chose you. You were picked for a purpose. There's something to be very thankful for in that. Um, Life isn't just about uh, self-gratification. You've been picked for a purpose. God has something for you to do. 
And it, for me, it's ministry. For you, it might be you know, uh, building houses, or it might be installing windows, or it might be banking, or it might be whatever it is, teaching, whatever it is you do, God has chosen you for a purpose to carry on the family name. That's why we call ourselves Christians, because we are carrying the family name. And for that, we should be extremely thankful. Now, uh, something else that happens when you're chosen in that era and that we need to understand is that old debts are eliminated. So let's say you're a father and you have old debts and when you die, those carry over to your son unless your son has been picked to be adopted by somebody else. Uh, I don't know if you all knew this, we're, we're not Methodists obviously, but every Methodist pastor for the last 250 years, when they uh, receive their ordination, they have this series of questions that they're asked. And it includes, I'll read a couple, um, uh, explain to us your, uh, your commitment to Christ, stuff like that. Um, do you agree with the doctrines of the Methodist church? They'll ask questions like that. And one of the questions they ask, it's kind of a trick question toward the end, is this. Are you in debt to the point that it would be an embarrassment to you in your work? Now, there's kind of a, a running joke uh, among the younger uh, Methodist pastors. Because when you go to seminary, you, you incur debt and that kind of thing. And so a lot of them are kind of uh, indebted. And so when they ask the question, uh, are you in debt to the point that you would be an embarrassment? The answer is, I don't embarrass easily. And, and so sometimes that's kind of how it works for us. But, but these folks would be, these fathers would be perhaps indebted. Uh, they would sell their children into slavery. And then we have God who redeems us. The language is redeem. So I'm a father, I get indebted, I sell my kid into slavery, I get some money, I can go buy him back. Can you imagine what that does to the heart of a kid? I had to give you away, I had to sell you, but now I'm going to bring you back. And if I get indebted again, what's that going to mean? I'm going to sell you again, bring you back. When we become followers of Christ, all that goes away. And all the, the debt that we used to have, when, when, when a kid was adopted into a new family, if somebody came after the kid with some debts, he would say, well, I've got a new father. Uh, you, if, you, if you have a problem with my old father, well, that's with my old father. But now you have to take it up with my new dad. I, I'm an heir. The Bible says I am an heir. I've been redeemed, which means I've been purchased. It's very important. And it provides security for those who have been um, bought. So there was this elaborate process. Let's say, okay, I'm the, I'm the paterfamilias, I have this estate, I want to find an heir. Uh, I pick this little young man, he's going to be the heir, and I want to adopt him into my family officially, this is what I have to do. You have to get a mediator. It's almost like an adoption broker. Like today we would get a lawyer to help us with this. Well, in that day they got a mediator, and it was this kind of odd little cumbersome process. And so the mediator would, would pay the, the father the price, whatever price it was, for this son, and he would pay it, and then he would give the son back, and then he would pay it, and he would give the son back. This happened three times. Three times he bought the kid, uh, two times he gave him back. The third time when he bought him, now it's official. Uh, this kid now belongs to the mediator who then gives him to the pater familius. 
he has now officially become that fellow's son. Never to go back to this other family. He's been bought with a price, never to go back. It's language that we hear in Scripture a lot. We've been purchased with a price, never to go back. Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice. They, they know who I am. I know them, they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me, and He is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from my Father's hand. Jesus wanted His followers to be very clear that once you get into the family, you are secure. We call this the security of the believer. We think, we believe, the Bible teaches that once you become part of the family, you can't be ripped out of the family. And so Jesus is very explicit here. No one can snatch them out of my hand. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. It's like nobody can take you. If you're in the family, you can't not be in the family. can't go back. That's great security and something for which we should be very grateful. We also get a new identity. These kids were given new names. We are all God's children by believing in Jesus Christ. We saw that text earlier. When a father, a pater of familias, adopted a new son, he gave him a new name. And there was this introduction. And so they would go to the temple and they would offer a sacrifice. The father, this new father, would offer a sacrifice. And he would lay his hands on the sacrifice and he would proclaim that now this is my son and he has a new name and he would give him a new name. And we see new names all the time in Scripture. Uh, Saul became Paul. Um, Simon became Peter. Abram became Abraham. I mean, you see it, Sarai became Sarah. They're, they're, these name changes happen all the time. It is a changing of ownership so uh, if you buy a business you know you might buy, buy a business and it was you know the uh, the thrifty nickel and you want it to be the thrifty dime I mean you you might change the name right you might change the name because you want it to identify with you okay well this is what happens when we become followers of Christ we get this this new name we are new people in Jesus and it's really, really important for us to see ourselves the right way. That we are in the family. I have something to be grateful for. I'm in the family. And no matter what happens to me physically here, no matter what happens to me financially here, no matter what happens to me relationally here, I am still in the family. I made a commitment when I was seven years old. I have uh, certainly had... Uh, uh, opportunities and I've taken them to fall away from the Lord many times I've sinned between the time of seven and today and I've never not been in the family I, I had the good fortune of having a great father I mean it was a blessing I had a dad who loved me and you know, he was he was harsh sometimes and hard and and he grew up in an era where you know he made us work and all those kinds of things I've, I've told you all before when when uh, when I was around our, our garden was about as big as this room and then I went to college and I came back and it was about as big as a postage stamp because you know he had free labor and he used it and, I, and that was okay there's nothing wrong with learn, uh, teaching a kid how to work nothing wrong with that I had this good fortune of having a great father 
And I knew He loved me. And I would make mistakes. I never questioned His love for me. I disappointed Him. I, there's no doubt I disappointed Him. I disappointed Him a lot. Just like I disappoint my Heavenly Father a lot. And I never questioned His love for me. It's super important that we see ourselves the right way. I read this story about a lady and, and she had, it was her 40th birthday and she comes into the room with her husband and she's got some clothes on from 10 years ago. And she says, look, I, I can still wear my clothes from 10 years ago. Kind of hint, hint, I need new stuff is kind of where she was going. And, 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 and he said, well, uh, let's look at it a different way. The husband said, let's look at it a different way. Maybe 10 years ago you had the body of a 40-year-old. Uh, so he's still in ICU. Uh, but you, know, so you have to look at yourself the right way. You have to look at yourself the right way. Look at what it says in 1 Peter 2. God chose you to be His people. And if there was ever a reason to be grateful, that's it. God chose you and me to be His people. You are royal priests. Look at the language He uses. You are a holy nation. You are a people who belong to God. All of this is so that you can sing His praises. You can represent the family. He brought you out of darkness into wonderful light. And this is the language, and this is how God sees you. You are His son and daughter. Which leads to the last point. Being chosen carries this promise of a bright future. Now, if you were chosen, you didn't get to become the heir until you reached a certain age. So, uh, a paterfamilias would would choose a, a son, maybe he's 8, 10 years old, and he would bring him un, into the fold, and he would have a tutor. Uh, he would have somebody uh, that would kind of uh, oversee his education, uh, would teach him the business. So let's say I was a, mer a merchandiser. You know, I, I, I dealt in trade, and I, I carried supplies and that kind of thing. Well, I'd want my son to know how to do that. And so there would be a tutor that would come alongside him and say, this is what your dad, your new dad, is doing this is how he's doing it this is and this is kind of like church by the way we're kind of your tutor uh, to help you know what your dad is up to and 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 what he expects of us and so these kids would they would learn some things and they would be a tutor but they really didn't get the inheritance until they came to a certain age look at what it says as long as an heir is a child he is no better off than a slave because he can't get to the resources yet he is placed under the control of guardians and trustees tutors until the time set by the father. And the father could say when he turns 16, when he turns 18, when he turns 21, it was up to the father's discretion. It's the same way with us. When we were children, we were slaves to the principles of the world. But when the right time came, God sent his son into the world to pay for the freedom of those who would be adopted as his children. He paid for us to be like his son. Now, super important text. We kind of blew through it earlier on, but I want to show this to you. There are neither Jews nor Greeks, slaves nor free, male nor female. You're all the same in Christ Jesus. This notion in, in Paul's time of a pater familius, he would, he would never adopt. He would never adopt a girl because the family name had to go through a son. Yet, 
in Christ, there's neither male nor female. If you're Jewish, you would never adopt somebody un-Jewish. And yet, here, there's neither Greek uh, nor Jew. Uh, this, this is the message. This adoption by God is open to everybody. Not just males, not just Jews. It's open to everybody. And remember, what I mentioned there was a mediator. There was a guy who was uh, to mediate between uh, the, the old father and the new father. Well, look at what it says about Jesus. For there is only one God and one mediator, speaking of Jesus, who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. You see, in Christ, reasons to be thankful are these. We have a purpose, a specific purpose God has chosen us to fulfill. It's very important to understand. We have forgiveness of our old debts. We have security in our salvation. We have a new identity. We are Christians. We are followers of Christ. We are upholding the family name. And we have this future that is beyond compare. It is really important to understand that as part of the family, we need to be thankful for what God has given us. There's a great preacher named Dwight Moody, and one time he said this, Very often we live under or beneath our privilege. We are chosen. We should live as if we are chosen. Because being chosen by God brings all of these things for which we can be grateful. You know, we might not have new stuff, and we might not have what other people have, and all that. None of that matters, because eternally we are chosen. And this is what's truly uh, important, and truly uh, what we should be thankful for. Father, thank you for um, this message, this day, this opportunity to be reminded that we are your children. Help us to walk in that truth. In Jesus' name, amen.